0: you're listening to The Cardigan, a special series from Selfie, focusing on the intersection of psychology and self-care. I'm Kristen, a licensed therapist, a skilled catastrophizer, and mom of four.
1: And I'm Matthias, a licensed therapist, side-eye aficionado, and a dog dad.
0: We're going to be taking your mental health questions, chatting about our own journeys, and looking at psychology in the media.
1: We hope you learned something about yourself, the people you love, and the world of mental health and maybe laugh a little along the way.
0: So go grab some tea
1: and your favorite cardigan
0: and we'll meet you on the couch. Hey guys, well, today on The Cardigan presented by Selfie, we're going to be answering a a listener question that I think is very interesting that I've heard a lot of friends talking about, which is sexual identity, middle schoolers, high schoolers, and what seems to be a whole lot of kids identifying as maybe not straight. And how do we leave room for growth without locking them into an identity? So we're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about psychology and pop culture. Specifically, why is TikTok so addicting? But first, Matthias and I are going to do a little mental health check-in. Hey, Matthias.
1: Hey, Kristen.
0: Well, how has your mental health been this week? You know,
1: it's, it's been a mix. So I, I think last week we were talking about you doing intensives. Yes. I, I recently got done doing an, an intensive as well. Yeah. Um, I, I work for an organization called the Allender Center.
0: So talk um, about, th- to explain what that is. I know what it yeah, is, but I think it, our it, listeners
1: don't. It's it's an organization, they're, they're heavily on the Christian side. So if, if you're not like faith-based, may not be the place for you. Um, But it. it working with survivors of abuse and pretty significant abuse as kind of the specialty mm-hmm. that, that dr. Dan Allender who kind of founded the center um, is really good with with abuse uh, and and so I, I'm a facilitator I'm a fellow with them and and we do it's, it's almost once a month during the winter months uh, weekend intensives working with people around their stories of, of harm and abuse Uh using kind of Dr. Allender's methodology. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's incredible work, but it's exhausting. It, I mean, it's yeah. <laughs> we're, we're working with stories that it would just blow your mind. What, I can't what even imagine. Yeah. yeah. And
0: are you guys, is it an intensive thing? You know, are you spending like a bunch of hours with one client or how does, how does it work practically?
1: yeah we do it as as groups okay. and and so typically there's between five and seven people in a group with a facilitator mm-hmm. uh and and everyone kind of writes a story of of their abuse mm-hmm. um, eight hundred to a thousand words oh wow um, and and then we do narrative based work on on those stories, yeah um, yeah
0: mm. How do you walk out of an experience like that? and maintain kind of like, you know, do you have any practices or um, ways that you get back to feeling grounded after dealing with such heavy subject matter?
1: Yeah, I, it's a mix of things for me. One <laughs> one is I like save up episodes of RuPaul's Drag Race. For, that feels right. For my evenings. Yeah, that feels so, like, right. every night I'm watching Drag Race.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, so you have something to look forward to. And it's light. And it's entertaining, right.
1: and it's so like I mean, like I said, it's it's a pretty evangelical space. I mean, they the, I'm there for a reason, like I feel comfortable there, mm-hmm. but it, it's one of the few places in my life where I'm not surrounded by queer people, yeah, and so so it's just like helpful to be like, okay, whew, i can I can breathe again. Here are my queer friends on <laughs> t <the> v <TV." laughs> <laughs> <laughs> so that. And then I try, I haven't been very good at it these last few months just because things have been wild, but I'll usually try to take the day after off. I'll usually try to get a massage to kind of work with my body because I I know I store things in my body and I store what clients tell me in my body. So to kind of work through and work out some of that, um, I try. I'm not good at that, but that's the attempt.
0: I'm curious because in my check-in, I'm going to talk about body stuff. Mm. When you say you store it in your body, how does it manifest for you?
1: Yeah, it, it's a mix of things. I'll I'll notice often in my shoulders mm-hmm. and in my gut, uh, and so <laughs> I always feel weird asking my my massage therapist, like, can you like massage my stomach? <laughs> but, like, <laughs> it it really helps to yeah. like get in there and work yeah. with some of the muscle and some of the tissue underneath, and it, it's amazing just the releasing that that I'll mm. feel. Uh, in that, because it, I mean, I deeply believe we hold and store things in our bodies. It's not just mental. Fully. Um, and so when we can physically open those places up, yeah, it, it helps.
0: Oh, it, it really does. I, yeah. we, um, when I was at onsite, the last time I was doing an intensive, they actually brought a masseuse in for mm. the therapist one night.
1: Oh, I love that.
0: Yeah, it was really nice to just after a very long day of very emotional, you know, I mean, generally speaking, when you're doing especially an intensive, if someone has decided I'm going to take time and money away to come to something, there's usually a pretty big crisis going on, right? It's usually pretty heavy, (laughs) Mm -hmm. um, and tense. And so, yeah, it was really nice to kind of have that opportunity to get a massage unwind at the end of the day, um, And, and, you know, I think doing therapy work, like, you need a lot of downtime. Yeah. I do anyway.
1: Yeah, I do. Yeah, same. Yeah. Mm -hmm.
0: Okay, I Mm want to touch on one thing that you said really quick, and I know this is a super loaded question, but you mentioned you guys do narrative stuff.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: Give me a (laughs) – this is so absurd. Give me a paragraph of what narrative means.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So (laughs) – Or more. From – in Alan Darian perspective, because mm-hmm. it can mean like it, when anytime anyone says, anyone says narrative based therapy, it can mean a billion different things. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but from an Allender perspective and the way I'm trained in it is we believe that the DNA of our stories show up in every story. So, so when we take a sliver mm-hmm. of, you know, someone writes eight, 800 to 1,000 words of a single experience in their life, that story contains the DNA of their entire life story. Mm. And, and when you're trained and able to read a story well, which is essentially basic attunement yeah (laughs) being able to to look at the details and and see like well if this is true then this is also likely true and and so on and so forth Mm -hmm. you can really start to ask questions of what was actually going on in this story because i mean we know especially as kids we turn against ourselves before we turn against our parents and so how do we kind of mm. retell the story in a way that actually will maybe assign some of the blame where it's due? Mm-hmm. And it's not like a blame your parents for everything kind of thing, but more of a, as kids, we turn against ourselves. Mm-hmm. It, often it's mm-hmm. not our fault.
0: <laughs> yeah. And we assign shame and blame to ourselves. Right. And then right. we walk around with that, with yep. everything.
1: With everything. Yeah. Yeah. And it and it particularly with abuse it gets solidified in in some pretty insidious ways
0: oh my gosh absolutely and then those narratives around who you are as a person they infuse into every relationship yeah yeah Yeah. i really like narrative work a lot
1: me too yeah (laughs) yeah Mm. how how have you been kristen i know you know you've been very busy
0: I've been very busy. Yeah, I have been. but I it was interesting that you talked about, you know, holding stress in the body because that is something I do, and that's something that I've really been wanting to address. I am someone who I've been under a lot of stress over the last couple of years, you know, the divorce kind of kicking things off and then right into a pandemic. that was fun. Um, and I'm just holding it in my body. and that's manifesting for me in, um, first of all, TMJ, I'm clenching my jaw constantly, unaware that I'm doing it. But then Mm -hmm. second of all, IBS, which I've talked about, which is for me, what that looks like is I'm just in, I have constant abdominal discomfort. Um, And there's, I've had all the tests, there's nothing physically wrong. It's just that my stomach is in knots all the time. Mm -hmm. Um, and it used to be, it would be in knots when I was under a lot of stress, but now this is like kind of how I'm living. So I finally was like, dude, I got to do something about this. And so I am seeing a therapist at, um, a place called the pain psychology center. They're located in LA, but they do telehealth right now. Mm. And they specifically work with, um, physical psychosomatic pain. Huh. Um so things like back pain, IBS, um any kind of pain um that's c- chronic and constant. Um and they help work on just kind of resetting those neural pathways that we've gotten into. Um so for anybody who's listening, I I'm I'm two sessions in. Mm. But I'm really buying it. I'm really mm. liking it. So if you you know don't have access to see a therapist at this place, they have a book that is really good. um it's written by Alan Gordon. It's called "The Way Out," and he kind of details this whole idea of pain reprocessing therapy, which is like this mind body protocol that I am working through um but i'm I'm really liking it, and I feel like I'm finally addressing this pain that doctors have just not had a clue what to do with,
1: yeah, yeah. Oh that's, that's so interesting. So what does a session kind of look like then?
0: Well, yeah. So I'm right at the beginning, you know, and so first session we kind of went over all my pain points. But in my last session, we talked about triggers. Um, so when do I notice that I'm having pain more? When do I notice that I'm not having pain? Um, and some of it is wild. It's not even necessarily stress, it's like One time I had pain in a specific place. And now every time I go to that place, I feel that pain.
1: Mm
0: -hmm. Um, Or if, you know, I notice that I don't, I'm not in a lot of pain when I'm with friends, but when I'm sitting at my desk, I have a lot of pain. Or if I'm nervous about something, then I start noticing it. So we're we're looking at triggers right now. Um, And then just, it's a lot of psychoeducation too, just about, you know, neural pathways. And um, body scanning is a is a big one for me. I do a lot of body scanning, which is looking for pain, mm-hmm. like being oversensitive to it and anticipating it. Sure. And so getting me out of those loops, um, and then talking about my past. So one of the things that has been a very kind of sad revelation for me is that my body scanning really started when I was having recurrent pregnancy loss. Mm-hmm. So what would happen is, I would you know, be fearful that I would have another miscarriage. and then as I' every time I got pregnant, I would just spend my entire day thinking, did I feel a twinge? Do I feel a cramp? Am I feel, you know, just constantly scanning out mm-hmm. of fear? And then when I did have, I had a lot of miscarriages, but then when I did carry India to term and Karis to term, that was nine months of body scanning. My mm-hmm. entire pregnancy, I spent wondering if every kick, was a cramp if you know every twinge was a contraction too early and so recognizing how those patterns of body scanning I never gave those up Mm -hmm. not consciously right um but yeah I I'm still doing it I'm still looking at my body all all day just it's just running in the back of my mind unconsciously Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so now we're trying to undo that
1: wow wow
0: Wild, right?
1: That yeah, that's so wild. In in the ways that we a- adapt, yeah, <laughs> and, and for for better for for worse, and yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. But yeah.
0: I definitely, if anyone is dealing with this kind of thing, I definitely recommend, and I'll link this up um the book it's called the way out a revolutionary scientifically proven approach to healing chronic pain and what i do like about this too is it is it's evidence based there's nothing woo woo you know um this is this is all based in real science um you know it's it's not like a manifesting myself out of pain situation sure. <laughs> <laughs> you know sure. it's I not appreciate- the secret <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs>
1: Uh, have you read? I, I don't even want to go to the secret. That's I almost went that direction, but um, have you read the brain's way of healing? No, by by Norman Dodge. He's a medical doctor. It sounds really similar to what you're you're talking about, but maybe more of a less like more of a less, <laughs> maybe more of a like theoretical as opposed to the practical, of, yeah, of, of like n- neuroplasticity and yes. the way that relates to pain and um, it's. I mean, it's it's fascinating it the ways is. our brains change and our bodies change.
0: Well, another good book on this topic is The Body Keeps the Score. Yes, right. Yeah. And a lot of people have read that one. It's such a good book. But, but one thing I've heard from a lot of people is like, okay, I read it. I buy it. I agree. Now what? And I would say this book, The Way Out, is the now what? Yeah. Like it's mm-hmm. a little bit more practical.
1: Right. Yeah, because yeah, it's it's one thing to read about it, and it's another thing to then try to do it.
0: Yes. <laughs>
1: yeah. Entirely different things.
0: Absolutely, especially if you're trying to do it on your own. Right. Yeah. yeah. Um. And then, yeah. I mean, if people are feeling like this resonates, you know, the it, it's a great opportunity right now because everything is online. Where it used to be, you'd have to go to Beverly Hills
1: to to go to the center.
0: I'll link all of that up. All right, should we get into this question? Let's do
1: it. Yeah, I'm so excited about this question.
0: I'm excited about this question too, but I feel like it's very loaded. So uh, this was a listener question. Sexual identity with middle schoolers. 25% of my daughter's friends are not straight, including my daughter. How do we leave room for growth without locking her into an identity? And I have to say that in mom circles, I am hearing this question more and more. Now, it's not coming from a place of, oh my gosh, what do I do if my child is, you know, queer? It's coming from a place of like, wow, these numbers seem really high, right? Like all of my kids' friends are identifying as LGBT. And like, is, you know, are they really all? And what do we do with this? And do we question or, you know, how do we approach what feels like a lot more kids than were the case when we were kids coming out or identifying this way?
1: Mm. Mm-hmm. Well, and, and I think that speaks to just the shift, <laughs> the yeah. cultural shift that we're in, yeah. of where middle schoolers, kids, are in places where they can explore these things, and yep. th- and they are, and, and yeah. in my mind, I think that's wonderful. But it, but it doesn't take away the like how confusing it can be, yeah, for them and for us as caregivers. <laughs> yes, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Mm.
0: Yeah, I think one of the pieces of advice that I have given um, on this is, you know, if you if I feel like the answer is just always a yes. And Mm -hmm. when your kid comes to you, like you're never going you're never going to harm them. By just listening, but you could harm them by questioning. Yes. Does that make sense? Yep. So like, maybe my kid comes to me and says, I think I'm bi. And they're 11, and they've never kissed somebody. And I, in my mind, I'm like, maybe you should have some experience before you decide. But, you know, but like, if I question them, they'll never forget that. Right. You know, whereas if I just go, okay, let's we'll see where you, you know, in my head, not out loud, we'll see where this all lands. But I express like I support you, whatever, great. You know, that's not going to stick with them. But I think we can do real harm if we question our child's reality on this stuff. Yeah. Even if it even if we do think I'm not sure if this is quite, quite solidified yet at this age.
1: Totally. And and I think where my mind goes is is this level of kind of concreteness you know i I think teenagers especially very concrete in the ways they think and the ability to kind of put labels yes and this is what's going on this is who i am now but the reality of that can shift you know weekly daily yes (laughs) um but I, i think some of our work as as caregivers i'm you know i'm thinking more from therapeutic but i think this is true for parents too is to be able to hold the space of where we're not concretizing But we're also not questioning their concreteness, where we can hold off some of those bigger questions of, is this true? What do I need to do? Blah, blah, blah. And more kind of hold that space of the exploration is happening. And how do we support in that exploration instead of shut down?
0: Yes. Now, here's a question, because I, I do know, you know, middle school behavior is to group and sort. We know that. I mean, it's, you know, we go back to um, the preps versus the socias versus, you know, it, 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 yep. that is middle school and high school behavior, you know, or the jocks versus, you know, for time memorial, we've been sorting in middle school and high school. And I do notice that there is a lot of pressure on kids right now to sort yep. around their sexual identity. And if we notice that we have a child who maybe isn't sure or Mm -hmm. isn't fixed Mm -hmm. yet, or maybe even is in, you know, some kids are late bloomers, you know, there are some kids at 11, 12, that they haven't maybe even experienced a crush yet. Right. And if we notice our kid is being pressured by peers to, you know, stake their position, like, you know, you got to pick or what I've experienced with one child is, peers have explained to them what they are. (laughs)
1: Mm -hmm, How
0: do we help kids, you know, be able to kind of give themselves room and space?
1: Yeah. I mean, it's so much pressure. It is. On something that is so complicated. And so personal. Right. Yeah. I mean, sexuality and gender, like, I mean, these are things that you know, even at, even as adults, we're trying to figure out. Yeah. <laughs> Let alone as, as teenagers. Yeah. I mean, I I, want, I go back to this this the question of like, what does it look like to kind of model some of these conversations of of maybe not like lecture your kids on the realities of <laughs> this is what gender's like, this is what sexuality is like. Mm-hmm. you know, there's a spectrum. Yeah. It can take you years. But but more model that kind of space of curiosity. Yeah. Of I wonder what's actually going on. It, it, of course, with some education in there too. Um but, you know, helping our, our kids have a curious response instead of a yeah. um like this is what it has to be, And if you don't know, then you're bad or you yeah. Know, whatever,
0: yeah. we um we have one kid where they were feeling very pressured to know where they stood. And there I think there are certain circles where that pressure is a little higher. I, I mean, I'll like just be frank, like I think the theater kids are very this is a conversation that is like top of mind. <laughs> and funny. if you're a theater kid by eleven or twelve, you need to know your identity and it's and it's niche. You know, it's like
1: yep. right, right.
0: Um, and you know, we just had that conversation of exactly what you said. Like, you need to stay curious. Like, if you don't know yet, then you need to tell your friends you don't know yet, and it's okay. And we want you to explore. You know, and we want you to go out. You know, you're not old enough yet, but like, you know, go out and have relationships with people. And have experiences with people. And that's how you're going to figure out, not in some debate with your friends at theater class, but, like, being in relationship with people. Yeah. And finding right. out who makes your heart flutter. And, you know, you're not going to know that. Right. Maybe. I, I know right. some people know much earlier. But, you know, totally. for this child, they did—they really didn't know. Mm-hmm. And then were feeling like they were being assigned. Um, yeah. but so I like that, like... It feels like if we're giving them the gift of curiosity, that's not questioning them, that's broadening. Like, yes. we're, we're sending them out into the world to figure it out, as opposed to, well, ha- you know, you don't know anything yet, and mm-hmm. I'm questioning your reality.
1: Yeah. And, and I think that applies really well for these questions about sexuality. I, I think I would caveat the question around gender, um, mm-hmm. and some of, the, like, it, you know, a, a lot of trans people that I work with you know know from a very early age not all yeah but but know from a very early age that things are not right with their bodies yeah um, and I, I think one of the biggest gifts that we can do is, is caregivers is you know obviously consult with professionals you know get people in there who can you know really help mm-hmm. but like there are like Things that you can do around gender, you know, whether it's puberty blockers or other things to, to give your child more space to figure that out without there being, like, in some ways, irreparable harm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, you know, once we go through puberty, we, we can't change that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so if, if a kid was really like, I don't want to go through this, mm-hmm. like, it's important to pay attention to that.
0: Yeah. And then I think also understanding that there's a whole spectrum of gender expression as well, because I think we can even be, if this makes sense, we can be binary in gender expression. So it's like, okay, my kid is either cisgender or they're trans. Right. And not understanding that there might be spectrums in the middle. Mm
1: -hmm. Right. And there are huge spectrums in the middle.
0: Yeah. 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 Um, and then giving them the freedom to, you know, be in that spectrum as well, because I do think kids are feeling that pressure too. Like they might feel a little fluid and then suddenly their peers are like, you're trans. Right. Where, well, maybe, you know, maybe, maybe they're in a, in a middle space of fluidity.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Um, but it's hard. And, you know, I find it also difficult because as you know, young people, they know everything. They think they know everything, you know, so they've they've watched some TikToks Mm -hmm. (laughs) and they know everything about gender and sexuality, even though they've never had sex yet.
1: (laughs) Right. (laughs) You know,
0: so I I always find that a little interesting, you know, but, you know, you have to stay respectful, but also recognize that they're (laughs) going to flounder and it's, you know, it's the blind leading the blind. Yep. It's, you know, a bunch of middle schoolers explaining sexuality to other middle schoolers. Yep. <laughs> Which is always a disaster. <laughs> but it, but that's, that is, I mean, that's also something that has always happened, right? Yep. Like, right. children have, unfortunately, often always learned about sex from peers.
1: Yep. Yep. Mm.
0: Do you have any good resources for on that note, for talking about, you know, sexuality and gender with kids before their peers do, so that they're coming into these conversations a little more equipped.
1: Yeah, you know, I I, I know I've already mentioned this book in one of our episodes, but like that book by Tina Schirmer Sellers, the the Mm -hmm. shameless parenting book, Mm -hmm. uh, I just think is so helpful with these conversations. Um, That is, that really is my go-to book uh, for for, yeah, what, what's, you know, quote, unquote, appropriate and, and what's not.
0: Um, yeah. Yeah. And I think, you know, we really – I always feel like we serve our kids well when they've heard it from us before their peers. So yeah. if you – I mean, for people listening that have kids, you know, approaching middle school, these conversations happen in middle school.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Like, it and, and it cracks me up when people – are arguing about like education around you know gender and sexuality because if you think that they don't that they're not going to learn this just by nature of being in middle school you are delusional. Yeah, right. <laughs> they're all talking about this. Yeah, I mean every single one of my kids knows all of the definitions. You know all of the things, um, and so you know your best bet is to talk to them first and explain all of it first and give them a better education so that when they are in these conversations, they know they're not learning from other kids who are also p- potentially misinformed.
1: Right, right. Yeah. 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 And if, if you can be the place where your kids can come to and ask questions. Like, right. That I mean, that can help so much.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, I think consuming media where, um, you know, LGBT and trans people are featured is important you know just making sure that there's representation in your house in different ways is also important too i know Mm. like my daughter actually all my kids read a book called oh my gosh i can't think of the name it's about a little a trans kid Mm. um it's one word maybe charlie i'll think of it and i'll link it up i've talked about it on here before but it's just it's just a little young adult novel you know and it's Empathy building, and then you know, then they understood what that meant. Um, mm-hmm. and I think they read it when they were like nine or ten, you know. Um, yeah. and then there's an earlier one about crayons. Do you know that one?
1: Oh, it rings a bell. I think I know what one you're talking about, but I don't remember the name.
0: <laughs> it's like a crayon that has a red package, but it colors in blue.
1: Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um,
0: but that was just a really cute one just for understanding. You know, I think again, we say this all the time, but these conversations just have to be ongoing conversations. Yeah, right. That, at different developmental stages. But I yeah. think that's really helpful too.
1: There's another really good book. It's a memoir, and I think it's semi related, at least for people, parents who are like, I, I want to at least learn a little bit about these conversations. Uh, before I have them with my kids, there's a book by a person named Dr. Kyle Myers, K-Y-L Myers, who is uh, gender fluid themselves, uh, but they had a child and r- chose to raise this child gender neutral or to allow their child to choose their gender, you know, as, as they were getting older, um, and it's it's a memoir the book's called Raising Them and, and i think it's really helpful because it, dr kyle is a sociologist and so they you know both explain a lot of the theory and a lot of the you know reality around gender in the book but also some of the practicality of just parenting Yeah. Um, And and you may not want to, you know, raise your child gender neutral, but it will at least help you (laughs) into some of those conversations, I think. Yeah. Um, So that's a great resource as well.
0: Oh, that's cool. Okay. The book I was thinking of is George. That's the name of it. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it was my my kids really liked that book.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah. I'll
0: link that one up too. Yeah. These are all very interesting conversations. And, you know, this is. It's so new and it's so different. And I do love that kids are feeling so much freedom now. You know, the yep. stigma is just it, the stigma that was present when I was their age is just not there. Yep. It's not there. Which um, is so cool. So cool. Yeah. I yeah. mean, my kids like are going to their gay straight alliance at school and <laughs> yeah. that's that's a cool club. You know, that's not a misfit club. That's a cool club. Right. I love it.
1: Yeah. I wonder if we also need to caveat, though, that, like, we're on the coast.
0: <laughs> you're right. You're so right.
1: Yeah. And I, I yeah. hear so many stories of where it is still hell in the yeah. Midwest and, and other places. You're, um, you're
0: absolutely right on that. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yep. We are.
0: Yeah, we are. We are in California and Seattle. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and that is not the case everywhere. That is absolutely true. Yeah. I do. I do feel encouraged by while it's not the case everywhere i think that media representation has really changed a lot too yes and i hope and that that's helping kids in those isolated places
1: totally especially i feel like this leads us right into our question or our pop culture question but especially tiktok <laughs> yes especially tiktok yeah i mean i think tiktok thinks
0: i'm gay <laughs> Like, you know how you like get the algorithms
1: oh yeah no, i think I know. tiktok
0: thinks i am an autistic black man who's gay
1: i love that i once stumbled onto straight tiktok because it like the algorithm got me wrong and i was like what is wrong that is so funny do not want this yeah
0: well i'm on i'm heavy into musical theater tiktok yeah so tiktok for sure thinks i'm gay I love Think it. So I'm a gay man. I like love most it. of what I'm served is like gay men dancing, <laughs> but like Broadway dancing, not like TikTok dances.
1: Right, like Broadway, Broadway. dancing. <laughs> oh, I love TikTok. Oh my gosh! I uh and, and and like our question is why is TikTok so addicting? Yes. Because it is. It's so addicting, but why? oh my gosh. So I had a theory the other night. I was in bed after a TikTok binge. So I don't keep TikTok on my phone. Mm-hmm. I keep it on my iPad. And I'm not allowed to put it on my phone. Because if I do, you know, I'll never do anything else ever again. Um, so I have, you know, my my nights where I can watch TikTok. Your nighttime so. allowance
0: of TikTok. <laughs> right.
1: But I always, you know, I'll start at 9 p.m. and be like, okay, I'll be on here for an hour. And then I'll look up and it's 1 a.m. Yeah. And oh, I know. I was, you know, thinking one night, like, I wonder why that is. And what popped into my my mind was, I wonder if it touches some of the same places that gambling does. Huh. Um, some of those addictive processes or potentially addictive processes of the anticipation of you never know what's going to happen next. Oh, my you gosh. You don't know what yeah. kind of dopamine rush you're going to get next. And so you just kind of keep going and going.
0: That's so true. It is like a Russian roulette. I mean. Yeah. Or what's the game where you pull down on the handle and all the different things pop up, right? Like slots. Like yeah. you are you're right. pu- you're pulling you're literally pulling down and you don't know what's going to come up next,
1: right? And and you and like you could get a disappointing TikTok, <laughs> but like the next one could be that one that you, you laugh for hours at, yeah. Like, you never i i did some research, research i googled i don't want to mm-hmm. call that research <laughs> I, I totally typed in i did some googling and gambling <laughs> and stuff popped up apparently people are researching this and it it seems like at least preliminarily with the headlines that i read i didn't actually read the articles that there is connection there between yeah. those those parts of our brains which is fascinating
0: well i also want to say i mean i think we may have listeners who are like, I don't understand what TikTok is. And if you're not mm. on TikTok, I, I want to give like a brief explanation. Because I'm yes. I'm on the upper edges of age wise in terms of TikTok, you know. <laughs> like a lot of people my age don't use it. But it yes, it is some teens doing dances. That is a a lane of TikTok. But once you start using it and you find things that you like, you get served an algorithm that's very unique. And so like for me, I get served a lot of feminist content. And so it's a lot of women talking about things like emotional labor, equity, things like that. Like I said, I love musical theater. And so I get served like just people singing, you know, it'll be like voice teachers um, giving notes on someone singing. So it it does end up like kind of touching in in areas that you people like, you know? Yeah. And then yeah. I find like there's just so much funny content on TikTok. There's a lot of relatable stuff where you're like, "Oh my gosh, I never like I feel that way too, but I've never heard someone articulate it." Um mm-hmm. so it's just and I think it's just so freaking creative. Yes. So creative.
1: Yeah. yeah. It's. I mean, it's so fun what what people do on there, both yeah. from like the educational side, uh, and and the ways that you know for for better and for worse. Like there, I mean, there's both and here. Yeah. The spotlight that it's shining on mental health, especially yes. some you know diagnoses of ADHD and ADD yes. and like these things, like such important information and misinformation out there. Yeah. Um but just the f- the fun factor. Yeah. <laughs> and the way that algorithm gets dialed in and all of a sudden you're watching all these videos that feel so particular to your interests and in who you are. Yeah. It- it's wild. It's wild the way that works.
0: I think another aspect of it feeling so addictive is it's it feels really low commitment. Because the videos are three minutes or or shorter. Most of them are about a minute. So it feels low commitment. You sit down and you go, I'm going to watch it. Like, I'm going to watch one more one-minute video feels low commitment. You know, if I was on YouTube and I saw a 20-minute video, I'd probably be like, ah, that's too long. But, you know, those (laughs) minutes really add up. And then before you know it, you haven't really – I mean, it is, again, that kind of – it's a time gamble. Like, you don't know what you're going to find next or when the ending is. And yeah. it ends up sucking you in.
1: Yeah. And it just goes on and on and on and on. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Mm. I have it on my phone, I will confess, and I probably should not. I probably I mean, should no not. No judgment.
1: I get so close almost daily to downloading it on my phone. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's a struggle.
0: <laughs> and my kids love it too. And I have my kids are all on timers, you know. Um, uh, Because I know my own proclivities and, you know, so they get 30 minutes of TikTok a day. Yeah. (laughs) And then it times out.
1: That's nice. I wish I could figure out a way to time out my phone without me being able to override it.
0: I know. That's the thing. Well, my boyfriend and I have talked about, like, should we, like, basically monitor each other's phones the way I do to the kids and not tell each other the password. Mm -hmm. We talked about that, which is kind of sad. (laughs) And we're not talking about it – let me, like, clarify. I'm not suggesting that for him. I'm suggesting that for myself and vice yeah. versa. You know, I right. he's not like, I'd like to monitor your phone. It's more like, oh, my gosh, I cannot believe I just wasted that much time. I need to give you my password.
1: <laughs> right. Like, yeah. I mean, it's like that – oh, this is so cringy, but, like <laughs> – do you, I don't know if you ever did this, but in, like, evangelical days when you had, like, your purity partners.
0: Oh, yeah. Totally. It is exactly like that. It's exactly like that. Like, I need TikTok accountability.
1: Yep. Yep. I need to be able to tell all my sins to one person who has all my passwords. <laughs>
0: Yeah. Well, on that, it's funny, because on that note, for a while, Sarah James and I, the original, my original co-host with Selfie, we both put this app on our phone that emailed each other our screen time use for the week. Ooh. And so it was a little bit of just like, we're going to share our shame with each other <laughs> in the hopes that it would, you know, <laughs> make us pull it together, which it didn't. It changed
1: nothing. It didn't. Those things never work.
0: No, it changed nothing. <laughs> never. Never. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, it is it is addicting, but I it does it it feels a little harmless. I don't know. What do you think? Do you think it's morally neutral? Do you think it, you know, does it lean towards problematic?
1: I don't know. You know, I never I am always really sensitive about you know playing this game of like technology is ruining everything right. because in some ways like of course there are negative Things to it but there's so many positives yeah i i think the one thing where i wonder and i don't have an answer to this but where i wonder is the attention span thing
0: oh uh, my gosh i don't wonder i do think it's bad yeah, yeah I, I do that, think like, it's reducing our attention
1: span i i think yeah i think so to that those places of you know you say like uh, videos are up to three minutes if i get yeah. a three minute video on tiktok i'm like i'm not doing this this is yeah <laughs> it's too
0: long totally <laughs> totally yeah, so. I do think it is shortening our attention span. I think that there is something funky happening with our neural pathways of just that instant gratification and the yeah. serotonin hit. Yep, I do think that part is problematic.
1: Yeah. yeah, I, I think, yeah, I think I agree with you there. Yeah, um, and there are a lot of good things. So
0: Yeah, there's a lot of good things. And it feels, to me, it feels much less toxic than Twitter or Facebook. Yeah. Like people aren't, you know, people aren't having huge fights. Although here's what's so tough is we're sitting here talking about it, but all we can talk about is our own algorithm, our own experience. But like someone who comes on with a bias towards racism is also now going to be fed more racist content.
1: Totally. And I have been... I mean, even in like as my algorithm was programming, like uh-huh. they gave me videos that were deeply concerning, mm. <laughs> like right wing. Oh wow! Um, like stuff that I mean, where I could just tell, like it was like, oh, you figured out you're a man and that you're probably white, so here's you know, here's something like this. <laughs> oh, <wow. laughs> that felt like somewhat radicalized, at least in my definitions of what of, of uh-huh. that. And. Uh-huh. Uh huh. I was like, oh, it would be so easy for me to go down some kind of white supremacist pathway of where, like, that would be the only thing that I'm seeing.
0: Yeah. That part is problematic.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah. So it's easy to feel, I think it's easy to feel positive towards TikTok when everything I'm being served is very inclusive and, like, you know, it's feminist, it's it's radical, it's anti-racist. But there is another, a whole other side to it. Yeah, I want to say this, too, because we're talking about this. If you do have teenagers, I really encourage you to look at their accounts to see what their algorithm is serving them, yeah. because you'll really learn a lot. You you might pull up their TikTok and all they're watching is like booty shaking. You might pull it up and find that they are getting, you know, served stuff that is kind of anti-government anti-military like you just never know but it's very informative to look at your child's tiktok feed to see what they're being served and then have a conversation about it if it's
1: problematic Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah yeah it's so important Mm -hmm.
0: all right well that is it for this week i hope you guys will join us over on our selfie community facebook group um Hit us up with any questions that you have about mental health or comments you have about what you're observing in terms of psychology and pop culture.
1: All right. I feel like I should.
0: Hey, thanks for listening.
1: Just a heads up, we're therapists, but we're not your therapists. This podcast is not a substitute for therapy, and by making it, we're not rendering psychological or other professional services. If you need therapy, we recommend you track down someone to help.
0: Join us online for more of the conversation in our Selfie Community Facebook group or on Instagram at at Podcast.